0: Before we get going with episode 98, a word from our friends at Adelphi Racing Club. Adelphi is a racing club of like-minded people who enjoy horse racing and the camaraderie of being a part of something bigger than themselves. It's a true community. Adelphi's founding partners have all owned horses in other partnerships and syndicates as well as on their own, and the overarching goal with Adelphi is to blend the benefits of solo ownership without the administrative hassle with the thrill of the partnership experience. Adelphi offers an interactive ownership experience with real-time access to other partners, trainers, bloodstock advisors, and other members of the team. Adelphi partners will also receive multimedia content on their horses, including videos, photos, partner-only podcast content provided by the In The Money media team, as well as premium on-track and off-track hospitality experiences. Adelphi has an exciting class of yearling prospects by horses such as Street Sense, Lauban, Frosted, and Taprit, and will be launching a brand new claiming and private purchase partnership in January. Join the club. Many ways to get more information about Adelphi Racing Club. Let's start with the website, adelphiracing.com. That is adelphiracing.com. Email matt at adelphiracing.com. And on social media, Instagram at adelphi underscore racing and Twitter at Adelphi, club. adelphi Racing. Be sure to check them out. Now, on to this week's show. What's happening? Welcome into the Matt Bernier Show, part of the In the Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernier. You can follow me on Twitter, at Bernier underscore Matt. Today is Monday, January the 10th, 2022. This is episode 98 of the show, national championship Monday for college football. I don't pay much attention to college football, but I will watch the game a little bit tonight. Uh it's a balmy, balmy 10 degrees where I live, overnight supposed to be zero basically for the next two days. So hopefully wherever you're watching or listening, uh, things are a little bit nicer. You can go outside and not freeze your rear end off. Uh, however you listen to this thing, thank you for doing so. Many, many ways to find the podcast. If you just listen to the audio version, you've got Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and themoneypodcast.com. If you're someone who watches along on YouTube, pretty simple, Matt Burner, your show in that search bar, you'll get this episode along with the 97 prior. This week's show, I'm going to start doing with the Oaks preps what I've done with the Derby preps. Going back, rating them, giving you an idea of what I think, again, specifically to the Kentucky Oaks what the horses in play potentially could do down the road. Uh, we'll also get into a few questions that I've seen, you know, in, in some of the episodes of recent, uh, recent times, go through some of the things that people have laid out and maybe answer a couple different things. Because I'm sure if someone is asking or bringing something up, um, it's entirely plausible that someone else is thinking the same sort of thing. And so remember when you were in school and the the teacher would kind of lay out the idea of don't be afraid to ask the question because if you have the question, I'm sure there's at least one other person in here that has the same or similar question. So um, I'll dive into a few of those and then we'll wrap up this week's show with looking at the first round of the NFL postseason. The tournament is upon us. Uh, I think you've got some really fun matchups. There's one bet that I'm going to make and I'll get into that at the end. A couple of housekeeping things. Uh, This week, We are going to begin, I think, tentatively anyway. Uh, Each week, I will be a guest on the Players Pod at the end of the week. Just for about 15 minutes, we'll go over some stakes action, me and PTF, chop that up. That's going to be a bit of a new wrinkle going forward for the rest of the year. Uh, And as has been the case, if you are interested in NHL, if you're interested in the English Premier League, head on over to nbcsportsedge.com. I write about it over there. You can also find a weekly stakes preview article over on nbcsportsedge.com that goes up every Friday. This past weekend was just annoying. Annoying. 3 seconds and a win and the win was taken down via disqualification. So, um, you know, we were we were close, just couldn't couldn't get anything home and the one that we did get home, they didn't allow. So we'll get back to that, though, this coming Friday. You can find that, again, over on NBCSportsEdge.com. And if you like college basketball, the thing that I've been betting on the most out of all sports, uh, over on my Twitter feed, at Bernie or underscore Matt. Oh, Betty, we are uh, cooking with gas with that thing still. So uh, come on over. Join us. We're having some fun with that. So uh, Without further ado, let's get into the show. Let's talk about the Santa Inez. That happened on saturday one of the races i ran second in we'll dive into it go over some of the fillies that could potentially factor in and where they could factor in down the road and we'll button it up with a nice little bow and give you a, a rating my assessment of what that prep specifically could mean as far as its importance to the kentucky oaks the first friday in may santa and is at santa anita on saturday i think this is a really good race especially for the top two. And we can get into a couple of the horses that maybe faltered a little bit, but the big story coming into this race was kind of the three headed monster. You had under the stars, you had big switch and you had Awake wake at midnight. They topped the market by quite a healthy margin. And then you had three double digit types, as far as the odds were concerned. This video is available over on the Santa Anita park, YouTube channel. We're going to let it run. You're going to note down on the inside under the Stars goes right to the front, but it's going to take some pressure. There was also a pretty substantial stumble early on out of the gate from Mima June. That definitely changed the complexion of the race a little bit because she projected to be among the pace setters. Nonetheless, I thought it was a pretty honest clip for seven-eighths of a mile over Santa Anita's Strip. They're going to go 22-1, and 44-4 for the opening half mile. You see Miss Maddie B on the far outside. You see Big Shamrock in between the two, but all eyes on Under the Stars who looked like she could be really anything. And I like that she's continued to progress. The horse that I picked and bet, and I love the price, was awake at midnight in the familiar Redham silks and the purple and white. Now on the outside, she's going to really make, a, I think, a bold move. Rounding the far turn puts herself right into the thick of things. And if I'm being honest, when I'm watching the race, right about now is when I stand up and I go, we got this thing. That's when I start snapping. Not quite yet. It's when we get to the top of the lane when it looks like she looks under the stars in the eye and she's going to go right on by. And perhaps you can look at it and say the ground loss was the difference because the final margin of victory, I believe, was three quarters of a length. I don't know. There's a part of me that watches this replay time and time again. I think the better horse won. And when I say the better horse, I think specifically going forward, the difference between these two girls is I think under the stars wants every bit of distance. And I don't believe that about Awake at Midnight. I think think they could potentially be the two leading lights as far as three-year-old fillies are concerned, or two of them anyway. One route of ground, one in the one-turn configurations. I think Awake at Midnight is really good. I could see her being an eight bells type. I could see her being, you know, think about Saratoga with a race like the Test. You know, I, I think those are the races that Could fit her perfectly. The acorn, why not? Under the stars, to me, is a legitimate, legitimate prospect. Not just because of her pedigree. She's a three-quarter sibling to Bodemeister, and we know what Bodemeister was capable of on his day. But you take a look at the way that she runs. And I'm going to run this back. And I, I don't have it queued up right now. But watching her move, and I don't know if anybody has said this, and I could be way off. I don't know about size or anything like that but just watching her run she reminds me a little bit of Arrowgate, and just that she kind of bows that neck and she just seems powerful We're gonna run it again from the top of the lane she just i i, I when i watched this race it does it reminds me a little bit of the way that Arrowgate moved in the breeders cup classic watch the stretch run when he runs down california chrome she just feels like she's got that big kind of Powerful run. Uh, I don't have any better way to put it or a mel- more eloquent way of putting it. Uh, maybe some of you would agree or disagree, but I think she's really, really talented. Now, here is the elephant in the room. She's trained by Bob Baffert. And this, I, again, I, I'm not, I don't think anything funny, I don't think there's any funny business going on right now. I think that's, I think, you know, we'll find out in time about any of the other stuff. But as far as the here and now, I got no beef. I think this horse, she won on the square. I think she's just better than Awake at Midnight. As much as I like Awake at Midnight, and I think she's going to be very good, Under the Stars to me is, is she has potential. She could be one of those horses that I had mentioned a couple of weeks ago about, okay, Echo Zulu. She comes back. Let's say she just plateaus. Well, the other, there are going to be other girls that jump up. And this may be one of them. Under the stars in her four lifetime starts, she's gone from buyers of 70 to 72 to 80. And in this race, she earned a 92 buyer speed figure. I I love everything about her also in the fact that she's continuing to show not versatility, but she is learning. When she first started her career debut, she was off a little slow. She was chasing a slow pace. Didn't work out. Second time out. Yes, she's up on the front end in the Desi Arnaz, but we're not talking about a blistering pace. Then she comes back, wins, breaks her maiden from sitting off of the pace. And then in this spot here, duels basically the entire way around. The other reason that maybe you want to give a little bit of extra credit is, again, she was dueling on that pace. Her and Awake at Midnight, who arguably had the better trip, maybe not from a ground loss standpoint, but they finished six and a half lengths clear of the rest of the field. Usually when you get a strong outfield, it's a sign of a good race. And I think those top two, I think they're both legitimate. Now, Under the Stars doesn't earn the 10 Oaks points that could have gone to the winner because of the whole Baffert situation with Churchill downs awake at midnight earns four points for finishing second. So she's, you know, on her way to accumulating a, a enough points to earn a starting spot in the gate first Friday in May. I firmly believe this until proven otherwise. I don't think she's a two turn horse under the stars. You, you, she is one of the f- handful right now that I can at least cook up a scenario in which, she could defeat Echo Zulu if the, the, the scenario I, I just laid out. If, if Echo Zulu doesn't improve and this girl continues to take steps forward the way that she is, and again, I like the incremental improvements. She's not jumping up by 15, 20 points at a time. I I like her a lot and I think she's only going to get better as they go around two turns. Is she going to even be eligible for the race? I, I, I don't know. Um, that's a, a question that you know, remains to be seen about how the whole thing is going to play out. You know, at some point, are you going to see connections like this? And, and, and you know, you take a look. These are your, your classic Coolmore folks. Uh, does this Philly get transferred to another barn if the, the whole Baffert situation doesn't get resolved? I don't know how the whole thing plays out. What I do know is this is a Philly who has major league potential. So as I've done with the Derby preps, we're going to start doing it with the Oaks preps as well, rating them on a scale of 1 to 10 as far as the importance or the potential impact on the big one. And while I'm going on record saying awake at midnight, I don't think she's a two-turn horse. Under the stars, I do, and I think she could be a player in the Kentucky Oaks if she's even allowed to get in. I gave this an 8 on a scale of 1 to 10. That's how much I believe in this Philly. I think Under the Stars is really good. I think Awake at Midnight is very good. It reminds me a little bit of a few years ago, and I can't remember who the other Philly was. Oh, it's going to drive me nuts. Was it Abel Tasman? But the the showdowns between Midnight Bisou and the other Philly, maybe it was Abel Tasman. Somebody can correct me. But they both ended up being in that upper echelon. I think that's what you're looking at with these two girls here. The big, I don't want to say no show, was big switch. And I think to me, all it really just solidifies, and we're going back to the beginning. She's kind of down on the inside right now, chasing behind under the stars. She never truly gets involved in this thing. I I think it underscores something that maybe I don't give enough credence to, or I don't you know, bring up enough. There is a, a, a significant jump from state bred company to open company. I know that doesn't sound like a, a brilliant statement, but just because she's run fast against cowbreds, you know, you're dealing with, with some, some big time animals here at the open level and an open graded stake. And I think she just got exposed a little bit here. Now that doesn't mean that she's not going to be able to pick her feet up. This is her first start since breeders cup weekend at Del Mar. Maybe she's going to need a race. Maybe she'll want to stretch out, but she's the size of a, you know, of a locomotive. So I, I'm not convinced that longer will necessarily absolutely be better for her. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think you just hit the the reset button and maybe you go to drop back into a Calbred race. The top two, though, they're not going anywhere but up. I give this race, the Santa Inez, an eight. On a scale of 1 to 10 from a Kentucky Oaks prep standpoint, I think the true Oaks contender in this race is under the stars if she's even allowed to run. And I think a proper, and they'll give her every opportunity to stretch out to two turns, but I think a proper one-turn filly that's a three-year-old for all of the big ones would be awake at midnight if they choose to go that route. Again, they're going to give her a chance to stretch out. I I have no doubt about that. I'm not convinced it'll work. I think she's going to do her best work going around one turn. But again. That that she could be one of the best three year olds I think anyway so far. Let me know your thoughts about the Santa Inez. Need the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. Now let's uh, answer some questions and comments from the past few weeks. Let's burn through some questions and comments that were left uh, beneath last week's show over on YouTube. And this can become a recurring segment if there are enough folks who chime in beneath the video player on YouTube. That's probably the preferred spot. But you can also email me, burnier.mat89 at gmail.com or obviously Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. Just gonna rip through some of them. Some are questions, some are statements, and we'll just go on from there. Uh Geraldo Rincon. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Flightline has to be the most talented son of Tappet to this date. Matt, do you see Flightline maybe being a potential horse for the Pegasus? He has the pedigree to go longer. I also like Epicenter in his pedigree. Candy Ride has become one of the most influential sires in the industry on either side, sires or broodmares. Geraldo, thank you for the Questions, comments, uh, pieces there. No, I don't see Flightline being a player or even a potential horse for the Pegasus. And I say player if he were to have, if he were to be pointed there, sure. But um, they have made no, they've made no sort of indications of where he may go next. But that it won't be to the Pegasus or to Saudi for the Saudi Cup. Um, you know, I I was on with. Uh, Stu from the Stucast last week. And i it's tempered enthusiasm for me with Flightline because he has raced so infrequently to date that, I, you know, I, it's hard for me to get super excited about him simply because I, I don't know how often we're going to see him or how many times we're going to see him. Based on this, what are you going to see him? Two, max, three times this year? Um, and that's if all goes well. So he's a brilliant talent. There's no denying that, but I'm just very skeptical of when we're actually going to see him again. That's just being honest. If I thought that we would see him, you know, five six times this year, yeah, I'd be all in and saying, okay, let's map it out. But he's raced so infrequently, and his connections have been very very cautious with him. I think, for obvious reasons, something is not right with the horse. He he must have he must be an ouchie type. Something like that. Because otherwise you wouldn't handle them with kid gloves the way that they have. Uh, I know they have mentioned the Met as a potential spot. Again, you're talking about June. It's the beginning of January. There's a lot that can happen between now and then. Uh, whether that ends up happening or not, we'll find out. But the, the talent, no one can argue with the talent. It's off the charts. Um, but we'll see. Again, tempered enthusiasm for me when it comes to flight Flightline. Uh, JM. Aqueduct is a toss for me in the Derby. Nothing good comes out of there for the Derby. Those colts end up being okay horses for the Belmont or the summer races, or even as four-year-olds. But I'll ignore any prep from Aqueduct. Just hasn't produced in many, many years now. It's always about Santanita and Gulfstream. If Santanita and Gulfstream are one and one a, Oaklawn and Fairgrounds are two and two a. Uh, J.M. For the most part, I, I can't argue with you there. Aqueduct has not been a productive path to the Kentucky Derby in many, many years. That's just the fact. You've had a couple horses who have come out of there and run well. You know, Frosted comes to mind. That was back in 2015. He won the wood and then finished fourth, I believe, in the Kentucky Derby. Um, some other horses have then gone on to do good things in other races, to your point. Cloud Computing in 2017, he finished third behind Irish Warcry. Cry. He then came back and won the Preakness Stakes. They didn't even bother going to the Derby with him. Uh, but to the overall point that it's just not been a productive path to Louisville. It just has not been. Part of that is because I think some of the horses are just kind of slow, and this rolls into Robert Walton's piece. Robert Walton's comment. Why place, or excuse me, you place so much, it's a little bit, you know, the wording's a little bit choppy, but work with me here. You place so much emphasis on buyers and discussing Corvassier's win. I don't understand why. Robert's emphasis is one speed, two track variant, three class, four breeding, five jockey, six win percentage, seven buyers. Why do you place so much faith in buyers? Robert, thank you for the the comment. You're saying your emphasis is speed and track variant one and two. Is that not effectively a, a speed figure? That's what buyers and any other speed figures are effectively doing. They're taking those things into consideration and spitting out a number that's easily digestible, that tells you how fast or how slow a horse ran. Without speed figures, you have nothing. I firmly believe that. There's not one person in the world who can sit there and just say, this one does this. Um, I like this one, without at least acknowledging a fig. Without at least acknowledging some kind of assessment of how fast or slow a horse ran. And if someone tells me otherwise, I don't believe you. The, the only way to give a truly fair assessment of a horse, and it's not the end-all be-all. There are all the other pieces that go into it. But to suggest that you can handicap with any kind of success regularly without using some sort of speed figure, I don't believe you. I just don't. Uh, it, it's it's a tool among many tools that you need. You need to be well-rounded. But to suggest that you can just go about it and say, oh, well, this horse wins at, you know, 50%. Well, great, they win 50% of their races, but in context, are the let's say they're five for 10 lifetime. Did the five wins come against, you know, allowance types and now they're going to dump you know, jump into a graded stake? Well, guess what? That 50% to me doesn't really mean much. This is going to be the toughest test from a class standpoint. Sure. Class is important. You're stepping up. How fast are you in relation to the horses you're about to run against today? The only way to truly know that or measure it is using a fig. And then you have to factor in how was the fig earned against inferior company you're probably not going to have as easy a time earning that I'm making it up 95 buyer that you did against N1X types against graded stakes types. All speed figures are. And I know some people just purely play figs. That to me is a little bit more reasonable than saying I'm just basing it off of win percentage or a jockey. And I don't ever mean to throw shade at jockeys, but again, in the grand scheme of things, if I have a horse that can run a 110 buyer and a horse that runs an 80 buyer, and you give me the absolute best jockey in the world and put him on the 80 buyer horse, and you give me the worst jockey in the world and you put him on the 110, guess what? The worst jockey is going to win every time because the horse is just faster, flat out. There's really no other way to put it. So the track variant piece is interesting for me as well, Robert, that you mentioned that because that is what is taken into consideration with speed figures. It's assessing how fast or slow the surface is on any given day in relation to par for the class levels. And a fig comes out. So you kind of do... I feel like the way you laid it out, you do... Maybe it's not a buyer that you use, but you have to use some kind of numbers. I just refuse to believe that anybody can do this with any finding success with any kind of regularity without consulting any speed figure. I just, I, I don't, I I can't imagine that being the case. And if you want to just disagree about the buyer versus other figs, that's your prerogative. Uh, I reference the buyers because they are the most used figs. I use products that use the buyers, but you'll hear me talk about Timeform US frequently. You'll occasionally hear me talk about Thoroughgraph. I really... I, I love Jerry Brown's product. I think it's very good. Um, I use it on big days. I don't use it on a day-to-day basis. But I, I think there are, there are many good speed figures out there. Brisnet figs, you know, the Equibase numbers I've heard mixed things about. I've never really consulted them. But um, there are many ways to go about finding success in this game. I, I just don't believe someone that says they, they don't use figs at all. Maybe I'm wrong. I doubt it, though. Let's go to Ben Fitz. Can Baffert train a horse up to the Kentucky Derby, then give the horse to another barn for the Derby? As far as I know, by the way, this this is also the, um, <laughs> the individual who will post comments. I see him. I see him. I don't acknowledge him, but I see him. I'm going to acknowledge him now uh many times the comment will be i like cabbage by a head it makes me chuckle so i do see them ben um as far as the can a horse be transferred to a different barn yes i mean that can happen really at any time that's the owner's prerogative could baffert train a horse up to the derby and then give the horse to another barn for the derby Uh, in theory no because he his horses as of today for both the Derby and the Oaks, are not eligible to earn points. So they can win all those races, but because they were in his barn, this is my understanding of it. Could be wrong if somebody out there knows, you know, and, and I'm incorrect, please feel free to correct me, but the races that he is training the horses in, those horses are ineligible to earn points in whatever division, whether it's the boys or the girls. If they're moved now, so let's just use under the stars as the example. If she's moved to, uh, Simon Callahan has some horses with, with the, the Coolmore folks. Let's say she's moved over to Callahan's barn and in her next start, it's, you know, uh, one of the races, I don't know off the top of my head, but it's a points race and she wins. She would earn points because she is in Simon Callahan's barn. And I'm just throwing Callahan's name out there. Uh, Todd in New York trains for the, the Coolmore folks. Um, you know, there there are a handful of folks that, that that's the case. So as far as I know, no. He couldn't, Baffert couldn't have, and again, unless something changes, which is entirely possible. Um, as far as I know, as long as they are trained by Baffert in any given race, they're ineligible to earn those points. If they're trained by someone else, they can earn the points, which then would get them into the derby. So do with that what you will. And we'll wrap up a couple of these with some comments about some horses. You know, I mentioned that last week when I talked about the the derby runners. If you've got some names, throw them out there. Maybe I've glossed over them, where they stack up, this, that, and the other. Let's start with uh, Luis Rivas. Matt, any comments on simplification? At Gulfstream on January the 1st, the Mucho Macho Man stakes a 90 buyer speed figure, and the trainer said that they're going to point him to the Holy Bull. So I went through and watched the replay. Simplification trained by Antonio Sano. This is a three-year-old son of Not This Time out of a candy ride mare. Javier had the mount in the Mucho Macho Man. 90 buyer speed figure, and that's not even the fastest this horse has ever run, earned 92 buyer, three starts back at Gulfstream when he broke his maiden by almost 17 lengths. Watching the tape, and you can find it over on Gulfstream Park's YouTube channel. They do a great job of uploading all of their races. Uh, Simplification, my concern with him is twofold. When he hasn't had things kind of go his way, as far as the pace is concerned, on two occasions, he's backed up badly. So that's a bit of a red flag to me. And then also, at this point, he's an in-and-outer, where he's run four times career debut, granted it was on Tapita, earns a 68, finishes fifth, doesn't get the lead. Comes back, breaks his maiden on dirt against Florida Breads by, you know, the length of the stretch, earns a 92. Comes back against N1X types, doesn't make the lead, falters, drops back, finishes third, well-beaten, 59 buyer, then comes back in the mucho macho man, clears to the front, powered home, really finished through the lane, earns a 90. So, Two pieces for me with this one. When he doesn't have everything go his way so far, very small sample size, only four starts, he doesn't really run his best. And B, he's an in and outer. He, he's, if we're going to, if this path continues, if this trajectory continues, in theory, the next start is going to be a dud. We'll find out. That's, that's far too, that is a simplification. It's far too simple to look at it that way. But I think early on with these horses, when they don't have a, a, a giant body of work You're looking for patterns. You're looking for things that could be indications of what's to come. We're not talking about four-year-old or five-year-old runners that have run 20 times, and we know what they are. These horses early on, whether they're two-year-olds or now the early three-year-olds, you're trying to take small amounts of data and draw reasonable conclusions you can't all of a sudden throw out there that you know i think next time out this horse is going to run a 22 buyer well yeah sure that would fit the in and out pattern but he's not going to just all of a sudden fall off the face of the earth unless he gets cooked on the front end i also don't think he's going to run a 110 in his next start the holy bull if that's where they end up going with him Um, i think he's talented i think he's interesting i don't have a great feel for him right now i would approach him at arm's length in a race like the Holy Bull, unless he's 15 to one or something like that. And if he stacks up well on figs and maybe there's not a ton of speed signed on, sure, he has every chance. But for right now, I kind of want to see, give me another race against better company going out to two turns and preferably I'd like to see what happens when he doesn't get the lead. Does he run as impressively as he did at the end of the Mucho Macho Man? So thank you for that uh, that comment and that question, Luis. Uh, let's go to Jeff Franson. Jeff Franson mentions two horses, and these will be the last two that we talk about. Oh, that's my wife sneezing. Hesitate to bring up anything that raced in Dubai as far as the Derby goes, but couldn't help but admire the effort by the Russian-owned two-year-old named Azur Coast in a seven-furlong minor stakes on December the 16th. Street-sense Colt, out of a tappet mare, unleashed a visually impressive last-to-first closing kick and just a little more than the length of the stretch getting up in time. Let's start with that. I watched the replay, and it is a very uncharacteristic winning style at Maydan to see a horse rally from, honestly, dead last, loop the field, and she keeps sneezing, goodness gracious. I'm going to have to make sure she's all right in a minute, she, and rolls down the center of the lane, and it was an impressive performance, but to your point, Jeff, and I, I, I'm not going to go down the Mendelssohn path all, uh, again, but the the dubai path has not been a productive path we just talked about it with aqueduct dubai has not been a productive path to get to louisville now we'll find out when this horse stretches out in distance uh, perhaps you get another big performance and and if the horse ends up winning the uae derby yeah you have to at least give him a look because he is going to have one of the 20 spots as far as the derby is concerned the first saturday in may but for the time being I'm going to just sit back and wait and see where he shows up next. And once we do get out to two turns, maybe that's when we can start to draw some conclusions. But you're right. Visually, it was really impressive because that's not a running style that is typically conducive to success over at Made in. Now, the other part of Jeff's piece. Matt, a few episodes ago you were extolling the dominance of one Echo Zulu. Well, it looks like the coach may have something to say about that. If you haven't already, check out Secret Oath's performance and one mile allowance at Oaklawn last Friday. She might be the real deal. Jeff, thank you for the comments. So, another one. I went back through and looked unfortunately oakland does a really good job of uploading pieces to their youtube channel they upload the stakes races they don't upload all of their races so you need to have some sort of a streaming service or your adw to go back and find the replay i did so with secret oath now i hadn't pulled up her pps yet i watched the race my holy smokes you know she's loaded she settles um let's say more toward the rear she's not all the way at the back but she's mid-pack ish there's a pretty spirited pace signed on She starts to make her move going into the far turn and all of a sudden Luis Contreras has got nowhere to go with her but she's she's feeling herself. She's ready to roll. Waits, waits, waits behind three or four horses eventually tips out at the top of the lane and puts eight on the field in the blink of an eye. And it was a decent enough field. Matareya was in there. If you remember that name or you're familiar with that name she was among the favorites in the Alcibiades at Keeneland over the fall leading into the Breeders' Cup. So She beat a decent enough horse and and some decent fillies in there. Then I pull up the PPs, 93 buyer speed figure. Wayne Lucas is the trainer. Two turns, proven the whole nine. But then, so there's the, I mean, I'm playing both sides of it here. A lot of positives. Proven that she can rally from off the pace. She's not a pace dependent type. I shouldn't say that. Let me rephrase that. She is not a need to lead type rallying the way that she did you know obviously more pace would be beneficial but point being she's passing horses that that's a big tick in the in the positive for me she's run fast 93 buyer that was the last day as a two-year-old but point being i mean that, that was a fast race you look at the pedigree arrogate distance no problem out of a quiet american mare that's not the important piece absent-minded is mom grade stakes winner multiple times over really talented phillian mare where's the concern why am i kind of pausing first three starts of her career first was a one-turn mile and then two two-turn races at churchill downs She ran buyers of 58 62 and 64. And then she jumped up to a 93 in that allowance race at oakland so i always talk about the incremental improvements i like to see bit by bit we move forward that's a bit of a red flag we jumped up 30 points in one race curious the big thing the the elephant in the room she had lasix for that race she did not for the first three lasix can certainly move horses up 30 points or 29 maybe not quite that much but i would be very curious to see i need to see her do that again without lasix if she does that and runs equally as fast and visually she was fantastic then we got something But, that Lasix piece, I can't get past that. That makes me wonder what happens when we take it off again. Is she gonna run the same way? That Oaklawn race, fantastic. If you have the opportunity and you can find it, please do so because it's really, really an impressive run. But, came with Lasix. First time with Lasix as well. What happens now when we go into a stakes race, Lasix comes off, is she gonna run that well? If she does, we got something here. If she doesn't, we can point to the LASIKs and at least I, I would say with a, with a decent amount of it's not a slam dunk, but you can say with some level of certainty that okay, well the one of these things is not like the other, and that one happened to coincide with her having a having some medication. So there you have it. My thoughts on Secret Oath. Thank you for the comments, Jeff and everyone else as well. And if you want to be involved in this little piece next week or just in general, if we want to have this become a recurring segment. uh, Leave comments beneath the video player on YouTube. Uh, You can email me, Bernier.Matt89 at gmail.com or on Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. Now, let's get into some NFL wildcard weekend playoff games. First week of the playoffs, you've got six matchups lined up. I'm going to rip through what my projections suggest, compare and contrast to the lines available. I've already got a bet down on... Really the only game that I'm truly interested in betting because I think there is a a bit of a fair edge there. But I know a lot of people disagree. I've already seen uh, many people, pundits and and folks who talk about football uh, for their jobs, suggesting my idea is incorrect. We'll find out. I'm curious what all of your thoughts are beneath the video player on YouTube. So let's get into it. Vegas Raiders at the Cincinnati Bengals. The Bengals are six point favorites. The total is forty nine and a half. I have the final score of this game playing out to be 28-19 in favor of the Bengals. Now, this would mean that the Bengals would cover the six points. This would mean that the game would come under the 49.5 total. I'm not interested in betting either of those. I don't think there's enough of a margin differential there for me to really take advantage of it. But my projection is the Bengals winning 28-19 to 19 over the Raiders at home on Saturday. Also on Saturday, the New England Patriots at the Buffalo Bills. The Bills are four and a half point home favorites. The total is 43 and a half. I have Buffalo winning 26 to 22. Purely watching the Patriots recently, it doesn't look like they're really clicking on all cylinders. There are a few things that look like they're off. Uh, Frankly, I'm dubious heading into the game, but at the same time, it's a divisional matchup. We know how the first two games went this year. I'm very curious to see how everything plays out on Saturday night. It's for personal reasons i wouldn't want to bet the game anyway i am more interested in just watching it from a fan standpoint but i don't think buffalo covers based on my numbers i do think they win though and from a total standpoint i have the game clearing i don't want to say by a pretty healthy margin but by four and a half so it's not nothing um i have buffalo winning 26 to 22 though philadelphia eagles at the tampa bay bucks this is on sunday the bucks are eight and a, eight and a half point home favorites the total is 49 I have Tampa winning 29 to 22. That means that they don't cover the eight and a half. That means that the game goes over the total of 49. And sure, these these lines could move dramatically over the course of the week. Who knows if people will end up with COVID and can't play or whatever. You know, a number of different things can happen between now and Saturday and Sunday. But just on monday afternoon this is where things are looking and hopefully you can either take advantage or maybe the numbers move in a more favorable direction for whoever you're favoring uh in this game i have tampa winning 29 to 22 not covering the eight and a half and the game going over the 49 total this is the game that i've already bet san francisco 49ers at the dallas cowboys the cowboys are three point home favorites the total is 50 and a half i know many people are continuing to ride hard for that San Francisco 49ers bandwagon and bad matchups, this, that, and the other. For what it's worth, do with it what you will. I have San Francisco rated 11th and I have Dallas number one. And the thing that is startling to me, I said it a few weeks ago, one of the last times I did one of these talking about some games, I wasn't fully buying into Dallas being in the top two or three. As the season has played out, I have Dallas number one by a wide margin, and I get it. They've lost some games against better competition. Um, they're prone to shoot themselves in the foot. I, I, I'm not going to. I'm not trying to dissuade anyone from their opinion of what they think of Dallas, because frankly, I'm a little unsure about Dallas. But my numbers alone have them a pretty clear cut favorite, and, and well ahead of the second best team. Put it that way. So. Looking at the projection, I have Dallas winning 31-22 to 22 at home. That means that they easily cover the three. That means that the game goes over the total of 50.5. I have no interest in playing the total, but I, if Dallas is what they should be. I mean, let's also just call a spade a spade. They're a more talented team than the 49ers are. I think a lot of people are looking at it saying because of the style that San Francisco plays, maybe it is a problem for Dallas. It, this is a Dallas team that it would be an absolute disaster if they don't get out of the first round. There's too much talent on the team. They've played well in certain spots. You know, you can go through and look at it and say they only scored nine points in Kansas City. They held Kansas City to 19 points. I mean, it's not as though they got the doors blown off. By no means, it look like they were ever really threatening to win. But point being, I, I, I do. I think Dallas is pretty good and, and they should get through this week regardless of and I think that's another thing, too. The public, we talk about it with racing all the time. How often does the public darling of, of the Derby or the Oaks end up finishing up the track? San Francisco, I just haven't seen enough of the consistency. I, I don't know that I believe that they're get that good. I've already bet Dallas minus three. I have them winning 31 to 22 over the 49ers at home on Sunday. That also means that that goes over the total, which is currently 50 and a half. Pittsburgh Steelers. At the Kansas City Chiefs, the Chiefs are 13-point home favorites. The total is 46 and a half. I have them winning 30 to 18. So that would mean that Pittsburgh would cover the 13 points. Uh, the total would go slightly over. It's not a game I'm interested in betting. I'm even dubious that Pittsburgh gets to that point. I, j- I just don't think Pittsburgh good. Period. Point blank. End of story. Kansas City's not what they have been over the past three years. But you know. They're still one of the best teams in the league, and it wouldn't surprise me at all if they ended up winning the Super Bowl. And the last game, Monday night, Arizona Cardinals at the L.A. Rams. The Rams are four-point home favorites. The total is 50-and-a-half. I have L.A. winning 30-24, to 24, so that covers the four. And then from a total standpoint, that equals 54, which would go well over that 50-and-a-half. So do with that what you will. I think that's going to be a fun game because the Rams have lost games that I don't think they should lose. Uh, and it's become a bit of a, a problem, but at the same time, Arizona, look, they, they've got their flaws. I, I think many of these matchups I think, are, are really interesting and they should be great games. That's where I'm going. Those are my projections for the first six playoff games of the tournament, and the only bet that I've made and will make is Dallas minus three over the 49ers. I got that locked in at minus 110 here on Monday afternoon. And we'll find out. Maybe I'll look like a fool and that number will end up coming down closer to two, uh, but I, I just, I, I think, point blank, unless they throw up all over themselves, the Cowboys should beat the 49ers on Sunday. I would be very, very surprised and disappointed if they did not, <laughs> both for financial reasons and because that's a team that, and look, I'm no Cowboys fan, but I mean they're, they're a good team. They've got talent all over the field. And if they don't get through the first round at the very least, uh, a bit of a disaster. I know it's a rivalry game going back to the, you know, the 90s and, and even the 80s with the two teams matching up. But uh, I think the Cowboys should get the job done. So those are my calls for the first round of the NFL postseason, wildcard weekend. Give me uh, your opinions beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter, at burner underscore Matt. Again, you can also find other things over on my Twitter handle. Daily college basketball plays. The model continues to cook along. Uh, I'll be posting the articles that I write over on NBCSportsEdge.com for the NHL. And then on Fridays, the pieces about the weekend preview as far as the stakes racing is concerned. Uh, And then also, uh, I think beginning this week, we're going to be doing that little collab where I will be hopping on the players pod to chop up some stakes action with PTF so uh, looking forward to all that if you have any questions comments concerns anything that came up earlier in the show whether it was going through some of the questions that have been left uh, beneath the video player for the pod listed over there on YouTube or even talking about the Oaks prep from this past weekend let me know in all the usual spots Uh, best of luck however you play whatever you play and wherever you play until next Monday this has been episode 98 of the Matt Bernier show we'll chat again in a